Welcome to On Aeon, a podcast featuring conversations between colleagues on, well, Aeon. This week, we hear from Jonathan Rajewski and Samantha Billy about cyber threat hunting. And now, this week's host, Rachel Ratcliffe. Hi, my name is Rachel Ratcliffe, and I'm the Engagement Management Leader for Aeon Cyber Solutions. I've been a colleague at Aon since 2016, when my firm, Strauss Freeberg, was acquired by Aon. I also get to serve as the head of our Dallas, Texas group of Aon Cyber Solutions, and I have the esteemed pleasure of getting to spend every day working with some of the smartest and hardest working people that you could ever put in a room. With me today are two such people. Jonathan Rajewski and Samantha Billy, who are here today to chat with us about threat hunting. John Rajewski has been at Aon since 2019 and currently serves as Aon's North American Head of Incident Response and Digital Forensics Incident Response Practice Leader. Samantha Billy has been at Aon for over nine years and currently fills the role of Vice President and U.S. Broking Growth Leader for Aon's Cyber Solutions Group. Thank you both so much for being here today. So before we get started, I'd love to have the listeners hear more about your roles in the firm. Samantha, can we start with you? Yes. Thanks, Rachel. I am honored to be here today as part of the On Aon podcast. I'm extremely passionate about knowledge sharing as well as helping clients improve their cybersecurity posture. So I'm so excited to be speaking today. Um, To answer your question, I am responsible for leading the U.S growth and pipeline strategy for the cyber and ENO brokerage team. In my role, I'm accountable for maximizing revenue growth and helping clients with their cybersecurity posture with new products, approaches, services, and solutions based on a deep understanding of the insurance marketplace and insurance needs. Thanks, Rachel. So I am very happy to be here because I love doing what I do here for Aon. So hi, my name is John. I work at a company called Strauss Freeberg. I'm the head of incident response for North America. And what that means is basically I lead a team that helps clients on their worst days, right? We kind of help them when they're dealing and navigating cyber incidents. Uh, I lead an amazing team. I would say our team is, is the best, right? And we have great skilled practitioners that helps clients navigate some, some very turbulent waters. And I'm very happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for sharing. So let's just jump right in. So first off, I would like to set the scene for people. Over the last couple of years, the cyber threat landscape has gotten pretty scary and everyone here has had a front row seat. John, you and I have worked some doozies together. You have seen thousands of examples out in the field of what's going on. How have you seen cyber attacks evolve and what's the impact that this has really had on organizations? Yeah, Rachel, we've had a lot of um, interesting engagements together. And I'm here to say that cyber attacks continue to not only evolve, but they're becoming more frequent, targeted, sophisticated, and costly uh, for or organizations of all sizes. If you look back 24, 36 months, we've seen threat actors evolve from kind of like you, you could describe them as like a startup. Like they've kind of had like very sophisticated techniques, but they've grown and skilled their operations to be able to impact global organizations. We're seeing sophistication levels increase. We're seeing small organizations being impacted because of third-party relationships that they have. We're also seeing... Um, 
unfortunately, some organizations like school districts getting hit or governmental local governments being impacted by threat actors, which is disrupting all kinds of things. When you think of how organizations are impacted by cybercrime, it's, it's not just the organization that's impacted. It's also their customers or their employees that are finding themselves impacted as well, because sometimes when we're talking to organizations who's dealing with a cyber event, um, they're not able to make payroll because the system that processes that payroll is actually impacted by the cyber threat actor. So we're seeing, um, you know, the frequency increase, we're seeing targeted attacks occurring. Um, sophistication, obviously we mentioned is, is increasing, but also the, the, the cost business interruption is, is a big factor here where if a company can no longer make transactions or perform the normal business activities, um, it, it's causing a loss. Yeah, you make some great points, John, and it's it's consistent with with what I have seen as well, that no, no one is immune from cybercrime now. No industry is immune. No market segment is immune. It impacts everyone across the board in a way that may not have been true, even as as recently as two or three years ago. Samantha, and let me just ask this off the top. Can I call you Sam because I know that I'm going to slip during this interview and call you Sam anyway? Um, how have, thank, thank you. Thank you. Samantha, how have you seen this evolving threat landscape change the cyber insurance marketplace? Um, yeah, sure. So as John said, the cyber threat landscape has become more frequent, evolved, targeted, sophisticated, and last but not least, more costly. Um, as such, insurers have suffered increased frequency and severity of cyber losses. Given this loss environment, the cyber marketplace has become much more hardened. Over the last two years, insurers have, insurers have increased pricing, limited and even removed coverage grants, decreased the amount of capacity they would put on risk, and increased retention. The year-over-year -year average price increase since September 2021 is just under 100%. In addition, the, since September 21, about 50% of our clients have experienced retention increases and about 10% of the clients have experienced reduced limits. On top of all these changes, coverage restrictions have been introduced to the cyber marketplace, such as ransomware restrictions, systemic risk limitations, and business interruption coverage changes. Overall, the changing marketplace in the landscape has changed the cyber insurer marketplace to be much more hardened, too. Well, I think that we effectively brought the doom and gloom to the first part of the podcast, but uh, that's okay because there are so many opportunities to help. You know, and threat run... Um, Threat hunting is one of my favorite things to talk about because selfishly it folds into my favorite thing that we get to do at Aon, which is help our clients make decisions that will help them avoid big, big problems down the road. So let's put that in a bit more context for our listeners. What exactly is a threat hunt and when should organizations be thinking about conducting a threat hunt? John, can you speak to that? Sure. Thanks, Rachel. And simply put, cyber threat hunting is a great instrument for organizations to use to demonstrate if their existing cyber resilience is actually working, right? It, it, it's a test. 
and I will compare this to the real world for, for me personally. Every year, a couple times a year, I go to the dentist. And when I sit in that dentist chair, personally, I really want to be a boring patient, right? I work all year with my dental hygiene, trying to make sure when I get into that chair, I, I'm not going to hear news that I'm not expecting, right? So same is true with, with a cyber threat hunt, right? Um, if someone needs a cyber threat hunt, an organization, nonprofit, big corporation, um, or they, they, they want to check to make sure that their IT or security controls are actually working, functioning the way they should, a cyber threat hunt is essentially a team of professionals trying to find evil within the infrastructure, right? So known compromise or unknown compromise or evidence of a prior compromise, something that can elevate risk to the organization. So think of it like finding unknown unknowns. Um, and I'm here to tell you that when our team performs these threat hunts, they, they find things, right? So what do they find? They find evidence of existing um, actual unauthorized access to networks. And that's a scary thing, right? Because this, this could very much be a pre-ransomware event. Like you have someone who has initial access to an email account or to a computer system that ultimately will, will allow them to make destructive impact to the organization. So being proactive with a threat hunt is a good idea. And I would recommend just like I do, I personally go to the dentist a couple of times a year for those cleanings and for those checkups, because I do want to be the boring patient. And when companies are looking to do threat hunting, they're kind of demonstrating that, hey, I do have this capability. Um, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to really make sure that no one's in the systems. Um, so when do companies do this most often? And I would say it needs to be a part of the regular plan, like maybe once minimum, maybe multiple times a year. I've actually seen some organizations bring this in-house, some, some more sophisticated, larger institutions will, will actually have a team of people that do this every single day. And it's a great thing to do, right? Because you're trying to find those unknown unknowns. But we've also seen companies do this just as their regular hygiene schedule, but also during M&A activity. So there's, there's about to be a merger or acquisition going on and a company wants to make sure who, who's buying a company that that company does not have um, a breach already within the infrastructure, right? Because that's an increased re risk to the, to the company that's buying it. So there's a lot of reasons and that companies want to choose to do a threat hunt. But the last reason I'll share is a company, and we sometimes get this, like they think the boogeyman is in the house or in the network and they, they, there's a reason. Well, we were vulnerable to a vulnerability that just got published and I'm seeing in the news and our team thinks they patched it, but can your team just come in? Like, this is a good reason. Can your team come in and just look for us because our team is is good they keep the infrastructure running but they don't do incident response or threat hunting every single day so bringing in a team of professionals to do that is a great idea now i i love your analogy john about going to the dentist and um, props to you and your dentist for the dental hygiene that you have i <laughs> i it reminds me of of when i went in a, a couple of years without going to see my dentist and that turned into a very costly uh, mistake for me just like it can for corporations but I think what I really respond to out of your comments is that threat hunting really is part of an overall plan that folds into cyber resilience. And cyber resilience is something that's becoming more and more crucial for businesses. How can threat hunt really help 
businesses achieve cyber resilience? Samantha, let's hear from you first on that. Really great question. Um, Threat hunting is probably one of the best tools that can help minimize a company's exposure from top to bottom for the entire cyber risk loop viewpoint. Um, from a proactive or a mitigation perspective, insurers can potentially capture a bad actor before they even intrude the system. From a reactive or a recovery side perspective, insurers can minimize the potential harm a bad actor that is already in the system to systematically threat hunt your network, reduce the amount of time they're in there, and how long the attack will take place. And lastly, from a risk transfer perspective, underwriters see threat hunting as one of, if not the best tool to help minimize the financial implications of a cyber attack, allowing for more favorable risk transfer results. That's great, Sam. It, it makes me, me think about just the value that you can have in the uh, proverbial ounce of prevention on the front end before you hit problems on the back end. Uh, John, what about you? What are your thoughts around cyber resilience and how threat hunting folds into the mix? So when it comes to cyber resilience and threat hunting, um, I know that companies' infrastructures are all different. I mean, we talk to companies every single day dealing with a cyber incident. And one of the first things we do is ask about, you know, how did it happen? When did they realize it happened? And, you know, tell us a little bit about your infrastructure so we can properly, you know, uh, find and, and understand what the threat actor was doing within the infrastructure. When we threat hunt, we do a very similar thing. But one of the last things I want to do is actually have the conversation after the event occurred. I'd rather have that proactive conversation with the client and help them with the resilience side, because I believe that the companies that are pushing towards the understanding the unknown unknowns earlier in the process are in a far better position and ultimately risk profile in the future. Um, I mean, they're, they're truly putting their network to the test, um, which, which, by the way, threat hunting is not cyber resiliency isn't just threat hunting, right? It's a piece of the puzzle. And it's something that companies should be investing in um, to demonstrate that they're actually getting it right. Mm -hmm. Now, you raise a good point, and it makes me think about the types of things that you often find as a product of threat hunting. Obviously, you're in the environment looking for that potential bad actor lying in wait. You're looking for that, that clear vulnerability. But I find a lot of times, too, our clients are discovering bad cyber hygiene that may be hanging out within their network that may not be a problem yet. It may not have allowed a bad actor into their environment yet, but doing that threat hunt allows for organizations to do a cleanup and address gaps before they become an issue. And I, I love that proactive piece. So another question for you, John, it's been my experience that threat hunting means different things to different people. You know, I've heard clients say, well, you know, I've got antivirus running in my environment. I'm taking a look at the EDR ever so often. I feel like I'm covered. Are all threat hunts created equal? No. Next question. That's your softball. But but look, I think an EDR, like for those listeners who aren't cyber people, EDR is a uh, like a table stake and it stands for endpoint detection and response tooling. And um, a lot of companies that that 
have EDR in place basically have a security system on their computers. And it's a nice feature to have. Um, actually, I've, yeah, I'll let Sam comment on this, but it may be like a table stake for some, some insurance carriers, right? They, they kind of require it because it is such an important piece of the cyber puzzle. But um, do you need EDR to do a threat hunt? No. Uh, there's multiple ways to do a threat hunt. And I would argue that some EDR, let's say it's good to have, can be leveraged in a way to go look for evil, but it doesn't look at everything. And because I mentioned earlier, every network's unique and complex. Um, you really need a custom solution, potentially, depending on your infrastructure, designed for, for your specific threat hunt. You can't just put a software on it and think the threat hunt's going to be performed. For example, endpoint detection and response tooling does not run on email infrastructure in the cloud, right? So if you want a, a threat hunt on the email infrastructure in the cloud, that's a very specific thing. And when we look at threat hunts or designing threat hunts for customers, uh, we basically have the conversation, like, where is your infrastructure? Do you know where it is? Do you know where your IT assets are? What type of software is on those assets? Because we, if we can leverage assets in their environment like EDR, that's great, but we're also going to bring other tooling in. I'll come up with another fun analogy here. If I call a plumber to my house, the plumber doesn't expect me to have all the tools they need to fix my plumbing, right? If you call our team in to perform a threat hunt, we're going to bring the tools that we need to do the threat hunt. And it doesn't matter what your environment looks like because we have so many different tools that can work and effectively help us efficiently go through the network systematically to find potentially evil things throughout it. That's great. Sam, building on John's comments around tooling in network environments, how does that factor into discussions around coverage and renewals? Can you speak to that? I think that, you know, five or six years ago, the underwriting process around cyber submissions used to be maybe one page, six questions, and the insurers might ask a question that was more the check the box, such as yes or no, do you have endpoint detection or response? And that would be the end of the question, end of response. Um, given the loss experience of insurers over the last few years, they have so much more data and experience around the space. And they really see how the different threat hunting capabilities increase or decrease the potential loss and the risk exposure for companies. So as such, the underwriting process is much more expansive and really digs into understanding what are your threat hunting capabilities, and they evaluate the risk based on such a company's capabilities. And if you don't have certain, um, the highest level of capabilities, you will not get the coverage that you need, maybe higher pricing, right? These are almost requirements nowadays to have the best of the best and really understanding the risk. Wow. So as our threat actors have become more sophisticated, so becomes our responsibility to stay sophisticated in the context of tooling and methodology uh, for putting ourselves in this, the best position for, for coverage with the underwriters. Really interesting. Well, I want to end the substantive portion of our talk today talking more about cyber resilience. Now, we've talked about threat hunting as part of a holistic approach to managing cyber risk. And I would love to hear from both of you about examples of when you've helped a client achieve that kind of multifaceted approach to cyber risk. John, you want to start? So our team has performed thousands of incident response and threat hunts for, for customers. And in our experience, right, we, we've 
we've seen things. And during those engagements, we're always communicating with, with the customer and we're trying to let them know exactly what happened, why it happened, and what they can do to improve their overall security posture. During an incident response engagement, we're there to help that customer get up as quickly and as safely as possible. Um, and we're going to help understand exactly what the criminal did when they're in the infrastructure, how they did it. So when that cl- customer is rebuilding the infrastructure, they don't rebuild with problems. Thanks, John. Sam, what about you? We have multiple examples, um, but I'll just give one recent example. Um, Recently, we've had one brokerage client that suffered a cyber attack. Um, We were able to help them from an insurance perspective through the placement of the policy, as well as managing the claim or the event with the insurers. Yet, not only were we able to help the client on the risk transfer side, but we also had a retainer with uh, with them with Aon, and we were able to help work with them with our digital forensics and incident response team, and to make a better result to help mitigate risk from a recovery side. Um, in addition, due to the event, the company is now looking to introduce Aon to help with broader threat hunting capabilities from a proactive perspective and reduce the risk in the future. Um, by having this cyber loop risk approach, um, the client has been extremely happy as they felt like Aon was a partner throughout this ransomware event process. So really important to have a process from beginning to end and work together as a team because cyber resiliency is a culture um, overall. I, I love those comments. Cyber resilience is a culture. You know, cyber resilience not being stagnant and Forgive me, I can't help but add my own example here, but I think about the opportunities that we have had to work with very complex organizations, uh, albeit either you know private equity with a number of port codes, uh, large organizations with, with multiple subsidiaries, or even new startup companies who are acquiring new portions of their business. All of these types of organizations inherent, very complex cybersecurity issues. And it's fun to get to work with them to solve those types of issues. Uh, A very common scenario that we have seen is for a parent organization trying to wrap their arms around what are the varying levels of security and cyber resilience in the organizations that fall undermine. That's a great opportunity to come in and do threat hunting, to figure out what's in the environment, to do assessment work as well to get a base level of, of cyber maturity amongst groups and to fold that information into an ongoing conversation, not only about incident response, but about risk mitigation and ultimately risk transfer. Those are the fun conversations to have. And finally, a bit of fun to close us out today. I would like it Sam and John, if you would oblige me in a lightning round of personal information, none of which hopefully rolls into your own security questions that you use online, just cybersecurity tip for the day. But Samantha, can we talk to you first? Three quick questions. Are you ready? Your favorite trip? I went to Croatia and did Yacht Week. Oh, dang, that's good. (laughs) What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? time my family and friends um thank god we're on a podcast because uh if you i have no darker pale but i love the beach and traveling too <laughs> very good and finally a fun skill for you that is not on your resume 
actually an okay field hockey player. I was on the U16 national team and went to college for it too. So I've lost all those skills, but uh, I used to be pretty good overall. Holy cow, Samantha Billy, you are a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Okay, John, that leaves a lot of room for you. Um, so you better make this good, friend. Uh, your favorite trip? Uh, favorite trip was a family trip to Barbados. Uh, it was a just a great time with the family and you know, kind of living on a beach. I actually tried to figure out how to live in a container there for a couple of hours and then realized I needed more stable internet. <laughs> the world is better for not having you in a container, John Rajewski. Your favorite thing to do outside of work? Family, right? So either it's me taking my kids to sports or spending time with my wife. Uh, I love just spending time with the family. Multiple sports and family. Very good. And finally, a fun skill that you have that is not on your resume. I, um, <laughs> I, I decided about 15 years ago to get into bonsai. So I, I kind of build bonsai trees like you would see in giant Japanese gardens. And uh, I look forward to continuing to hone that skill as I, as I get older. This has been a conversation on Aeon and cyber threat hunting. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this week's episode, tune in in two weeks for another new episode. To learn more about Aeon, its colleagues, solutions, and news, check out our show notes and visit our website at aeon.com. 